most of these scriptures written out. There's some of it that's not complete. And I'll turn to some of them, and some of them I'll read them off the page. But I'd like to make some comments about it. You remember we started out in Matthew chapter 22 when the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus and they asked him what the greatest commandment was. And he said to love your, the God, your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second was to love your neighbor as yourself. There's another verse that we didn't include into that. It's verse 40, if you return there. It says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he makes the next comment in verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now whether you're aware or not, the law and the prophets is the Old Testament. At the time that the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandments in the Bible? All they had was the Old Testament. The New Testament had not been written and would not be written or even compiled for two or three hundred years. And then only one or two copies were, would be available. The general public did not have a Bible for 1,700 years. The only way God could accomplish what he said, I will build my church, he did it with the Holy Spirit passing the message on from person to person by word of mouth. So he says, on these two commandments, rest the whole Bible as far as the Old Testament is concerned. And people don't think that the Old Testament have these commandments in it, but they do. And they go to a lot of trouble to try to explain it. Now people tell me at times, that people make comments, well, I try to read my Bible, but it's just so hard for me to understand I hear that ever so often. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 3, Paul makes a statement, a personal statement about his feelings. And he says, but I fear. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians and verse 3. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Now people have said that Satan lied to Eve. Satan didn't lie to Eve. He didn't tell her a lie. He told her a deceitful truth. He told her, she said, but God said, because, see, God didn't tell Eve. God told Adam, and Adam told Eve. But she said, God has told us if we eat of that fruit, we'll die. And Satan says, no, if you eat of it, you're not going to die. That wasn't a lie. What 
God said was, if you eat of the fruit, then death will come into the human civilization and people will no longer live forever. Adam and Eve were created to live forever. But after she sinned, death came into the human race. And when she ate the fruit and didn't die, and Satan said, see there, I told you. She believed that Satan was telling her the truth and God was lying. Then she went to to Adam and convinced Adam to sin also. Adam had no excuse. He knew exactly what he was doing. Her light had gone out and he soon saw her. People who walk with God had a glow and Eve's glow was gone out. And he knew immediately she had sinned some kind of way. And she was the one that was fooled, not Adam. He chose to go with his right wife rather than God. And Paul says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Now look, Satan wasn't a serpent until after the curse. When Satan approached Eve to try to get her to sin, he was the best looking angel in heaven. That's a little different idea than she was talking to a snake. And people need to understand that. He was a very, very good looking, enticing gentleman when he approached her and caused her to sin. But Adam knew exactly what was happening and he chose to do it anyhow. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Some people have told me, you know, I try to read it myself, but when I listen to you, I understand it. You're supposed to understand it. God intends for you to understand it. In my mind, it's only when the speaker attempts to try to to, to impress you with his big words is when you don't understand it. Because it is very, very simple if you will approach Scripture with that type of mindset, God, with your faith in understanding it, God will make you understand it. You can, you can fix that problem real quick. And Paul was afraid that we might be corrupted from the simplicity that this whole gospel of Jesus Christ is about. It's not complex. It's simple. And if you approach it that way, I think sometimes we get confused because we say, I'm not sure I can understand that. And it gets in the way of our understanding. But by faith we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by faith, we can understand the Bible when we read it. If you will take the attitude that what you read in the Bible is always more simple than it is complex. Don't try to make it a big fuzzy kind of a thing that you can't understand. Because you've got to remember this. Please. Something that I had to understand years ago. 
God gave us this Bible to tell us about him, and this is all we got. Do you think he would fool us? Somebody said, well, what about this translation or that translation? Look, I've got a translation, and God intends me to know all I know about him by reading this translation right here. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches me to understand this thing, not my mind. And he did not intend for me to misunderstand what he was about because I've got the wrong Bible. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Let me make this statement. The next statement on, on, on your handout is God made a way for us to converse with heaven and encouraged us to do it. Do what now? To talk to heaven. To talk to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. To God, through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, we can communicate with the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, simply by speaking in prayer and the Holy Spirit picks it up and carries it to Jesus. If Jesus can answer our prayer, he does. If he can't, he turns to the Father and says, what do you want me to do? And when the Father tells him, and there's some things that the Father knows that Jesus did not know when he was here, he tells us that. And I'm sure, quite sure, that God, the big plan is with God for us. And Jesus probably doesn't always know every single plan for every single individual, maybe. I don't know. There's nothing in the Bible that says he does or doesn't. But there's some things he doesn't know. It tells us that. But he made a way in this thing called prayer for us to carry on conversation, discussions with the heavenly creatures. And he intended for us to do that. And he encouraged us even to do it. In James, I don't have to turn there, chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, that's in 16th century English, but what it says is, if you are praying with the intent and purpose to have your prayer answered, it will cause a lot of things to happen if you are a righteous person. And people say, well, I, you know, I don't feel very righteous. Well, let me tell you this. When God saved you through Jesus Christ and believed in the gospel, you became righteous at that point. From the standpoint of God, you are a righteous person. And what what James, the brother of Jesus, is telling us is this. If a believer prays, it gets a lot of stuff done. That is the strongest power on the face of the globe is the power of the action of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was part of God that he took out of himself and placed in you when you were saved in order for he and you to have instant 24-7 communication with each other. 
there's no way to doubt that he intended for us to talk with him. In Philippians chapter 4, and I'll turn there, you may want to, and verse 6, He says, be careful or be anxious is what that word is. In those days, that's what it meant to worry, to be anxious, to be concerned. Be careful for nothing. Don't be uptight and worried about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, prayer is simply talking Supplication is asking or begging with prayer and and supplication with thanksgiving. When you're talking with heaven, you're thanking God for all that you've already got and you may be asking Him for more. That's the supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. All you've got to do is ask God. And it says in verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. That phrase, the peace of God that you will have, is you can't understand it. You can't understand. You can sit there with God's peace in your mind and be surprised by how peaceful you are. Because it's a miracle. It's not common sense. It's not reasoning. It's not thought. God will dump a miracle on you and it will give you peace in the middle of the biggest mess you've ever been in in your whole life. He can do that. And He will do that. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. shall keep you close to Him. That's what that means. You won't wander around and wonder, am I really saved? Or should I be going here? Should I be going there? Should I be doing this or doing that? You won't wander around. And what does He say in the fourth chapter of Ephesians? Be blown about by every wind that you hear. You'll be solid. You'll know better than to listen to everything. He says in John 15 and 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Two, two, two requirements. Number one, if you keep your mind on Jesus. And the other requirement is you think constantly because it lives inside of you. The words of Jesus live inside of you. And if you live in Jesus and His words live inside of you, you can ask whatever you want. See, if, you're, if His words live inside of you, you'll know what to ask for and what not to ask for. You won't make a mistake with your prayers. Don't jump and do something emotional. Think about your prayer life. It's important. 
because you have a power that's within you that nothing but a Christian on this earth has. You can do, I mean, Jesus said you can move a mountain simply by making the request if God wants the mountain moved. That's what I had to learn. It's God's behind your request. Then you can do anything God wants to happen to you. You can do it. He says in Philippians chapter 3, over on the, light, the left page to the left, Let's start with verse 13. Brethren, Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended. What he means there is, I hadn't arrived. That's what we say it today. Well, I hadn't arrived yet. I'm not there totally yet, Paul says. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Folks, God did not equip us to handle the troubles but for one day at a time. If you wake up this morning and you still got yesterday's troubles on your mind, you won't be able to handle today's troubles. Yesterday is history. It's gone. It happened. What did you learn from it? And the rest of it, forget it. And what am I doing today? I'm pressing on toward the high, the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. I forgot yesterday. Yesterday was a bad day. I don't want to live through another one like it. But today, I wake up and I'm doing all I can to try to be what Christ wants me to be. That's the way we live, one day at a time. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, because of what I just said, Paul said, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, that's born again, that's believers, that's saved, that's Christians, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Think like this is what he's saying. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this under you. You see what that says? That's a promise from God. If you don't believe my scriptures with the intent that I wrote them, then I take the responsibility of changing what you believe until your beliefs jibe with the Bible. That's what he's saying here. May not be today, may not be tomorrow. That's the reason I don't get upset if everybody doesn't believe just like I do. Because God plainly tells us in so many places that it's all about timing. And it's not time yet. What did Jesus tell his mother when she asked him to turn the water into wine? But but you don't understand, Mom. It's not my time yet to do these miracles. But he went ahead and did it anyhow for her. So there's, in God's plan, there is a time and a season for everything to happen. A time to be born and a time to die. I mean, that's some of the things he lists in Ecclesiastes. 
So God accepts the responsibility for teaching you scriptures that are correct as far as he is concerned. He promises to answer your prayers and he promises to teach you what you don't believe correctly. Now, there's one thing in there you've got to see this though. You say, well, how come there's so many different denominations and so many folk believe in so many different ways? Because they don't want to believe the correct thing. That's all it could be. If your mind is set where you're going to believe this regardless of what God teaches you, he said, I can teach them anytime they want to hear it. But they don't want to hear it right now. They blind it. Their mind's not on the thing right now. And when I get a chance, I'll show them what's right. If you will, turn to John chapter 10. Now that's where we've been the last couple of weeks. And I'd like to show you something there. And it kind of, a verse kind of capsulizes anything. Now remember, what we were looking at, at John chapter 10, Jesus gave us a parable about sheep from several different owners that are put in the same pen at night for protection. And in the morning, they got to eat, nothing left to eat in there, nothing but bare ground because they've all been there in groups. So they've got to be taken out and led to good grass. And so the shepherd comes to the door, the doorkeeper lets him in, the sheep hear his voice, he calls them by name, and they follow him out. He doesn't drive them, he doesn't cut them, he doesn't sort them, he doesn't do anything but turn around and walk out the door, and they're all right behind him. That's the way sheep are. But you see, he's telling us a story about the way it works with him. That his sheep, which is us, understand who he is and what he's saying, and we know his voice and we follow him. There's one thing I want to say there in verse 27, chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says this with the greatest confidence in the world. You can hear it in his voice. My sheep hear my voice, and, know, and I know them, and they follow me. That's you and me, guys. We hear Jesus, and we recognize his voice, and we follow him. Now, is that the tone of his voice? I don't know. It could be. The way the translation is, it could be that we know what his voice sounds like. Maybe you have heard a voice in your head that directs you in a way that Jesus would have you go and you know what it sounds like. I don't know. Or it could be that you've heard what he said so much that you know by, by memory what Jesus said. You know what he's all about. So it might be that you can hear his voice and know his voice, or it might be that you know him by knowing so much about him. But either way, 
We follow him because we know who to follow. Now let me ask you a question. How much do you have to talk with Jesus to know his voice? Do you talk with him enough to know who he is? Do you talk with him enough to know what he says? Have you had experience enough with him saying, I want you to do it this way? And tomorrow you pray about something and he said, I want you to do it this way. Well, after a few days you get an idea, God is putting me this way through Jesus Christ. And I'm following Jesus and what he said. Because I recognize him. One thing I want to I want to try to lead you to believe out of the things that Jesus is saying right here. He expects us to speak enough with heaven. Conversations are two ways. They have to be. And we talk to heaven and heaven talks back to us. And so many people in the church So many people who claim to be born again today don't understand that. Don't you know what Jesus says? Don't you know what he sounds like? Don't you have an idea when you ask him, Lord, today I've got this decision to make. Which way do you want me to go? Don't you have an idea which way he's going to put you? (laughs) Because of your experience with him, Jesus assumed you know know that. Do we know that? Do we talk with him enough and carry on a conversation with him all day long in such a way that we know who he is and what he stands for and what his voice sounds like? He expects us to. So I encourage you, if you're not praying enough, if you're not, I mean, I just... I just talk with Jesus like he's standing there next to me. I mean, I don't have to, you know, I can pray going down the road with my eyes wide open and not miss a lick. We don't have to stop. Every prayer doesn't have to be in a closet or a prayer corner. It can be anywhere. As simple as, Lord, help me when you find yourself in a jam. But my point is, Jesus says, I want to be your friend What kind of friend can you have that you don't talk to? Oh, Jesus is way too important to have to deal with stuff like this right here. No, he's not. I've had people tell me that. No, he's not. Like the conversation me and Mr. Buddy Rife used to have. If you drop a washer in the grass and that's the only one you got, God will help you find it if you'll tell him. Lord, I ain't going to find this washer in the grass unless you shine it, show it to me. And it'll shine like new money. God's not too busy for that. He will show you how much he loves you by the small things he does for you. It don't have to be a big deal. But I tell you something that goes along with that. He assumes also that you know him so well that you won't follow a stranger. What about this 
TV preacher, Brother Joe. What do you think about him? Well, what do you think about him? Aren't you a Christian too? What has God told you about him? He's told me, don't listen to him. I don't want that garbage in your head. I can tell you that. But I found that some people keep on listening to him. So it's up to you. This whole thing, the information here is something that, 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 that God gives to you through me. And you take it and do whatever you want to with it. I'm not responsible for that. I'm just responsible for making you aware of it, that it's here and what it sounds like. This thing of being obedient is all about you and God. I'm, I have no part in it. My, my obedience is, is between me and God. And I got enough problems with that. I can't take on your disobedience too. All I can do is show you. But with everybody, it's that away. God gives us that right to be disobedient. But if you're like me, you don't want to be. Because it don't lead for anything that's going to be comfortable for you. <clears throat> Why would God plan it this way? When you mention Jesus to other people and they have act like they don't want any part of what you're saying, are you surprised? What did he say? They asked him. Why don't you just come out and tell us if you're the Messiah? He said, look, I've already preached to you. I've already done the miracles in front of you. If you're one of mine, you'll know my voice. You'll know it's me. And then their first thought is, but wait a minute, some of us don't feel that way. He said, yeah, I know, because you're not my sheep. <laughs> the reason you don't know my voice and follow me out of the coat, because you're not my sheep. Now understand, people, there are folks out there that you will give a test, word of testimony or maybe even witness to that won't know part of it. Don't let it bother you. There's two things. They're either not his sheep or the timing is not right yet. It's not time for them to be saved. And it'll happen later. So don't let it bother you. That's God's control, not mine. All I can do is offer Christ. If they don't want him, that's on them, not on me. So why would God plan it this way? Well, look at the next scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. I'm going to turn there because it says, for we are his workmanship. Now look, my wife goes to the kitchen and she starts pulling out stuff and she winds up with something that tastes really good. But she has to throw a bunch of different things in the pot to wind up that way. God made us 
139th Psalm. He created us with the material that his, our mama and our daddy gave him to create us in a particular way. Because the word says we were created out of material that already existed. So it's our mom and dad's DNA that limits God to what he can do with us. But within that limitation, he makes us all different. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. We were planned when we were created to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and then to go out and do good works. Which God hath before ordained, before he even created the earth, he had this plan. That we should walk in them. What is them? Good works. He had it planned before he even made the earth that we would come along one day and that we would accept Jesus Christ and that we would do these good works. One thing I want to throw in there. Because I was talking with a lady three or four weeks ago. She was talking about she prayed every morning when she got up that she would be able to help somebody all day long. I said, well, she said, wouldn't that be your prayer? I said, no, ma'am. She said, why not? I said, my prayer would be that I would help those people that God called me to help. But I'm not out beating the bushes looking for somebody to help. That good Samaritan was on his way. I mean, he was at business. He was on his way when he was distracted by that fellow who had been beaten on the side of the road. God gave him a special calling to stop and deal with that fellow. Those other guys that walked on by, God didn't call them to do it. There's an expression, you've heard me talk about it before, called dead work. It's in, in the book of Hebrews. When God talks about that dead works are works that God did not call me to do, that he did not enable me or equip me to do, and I won't get a reward for doing them. And you say, well, wait a minute, I don't understand about that. Okay? Let me give you this parable. <laughs> this is a present day parable. All of y'all figure this out. A fellow goes and gets him a job. He's working for a big contracting company. The contracting company gives him a pickup truck with a welder and, and mechanic tools on the back of it. Tell him he can drive it back and forth to the house because when they have a breakdown, they want to be able to call him and him come and fix whatever he needs to fix, whether it's working hours or not. That makes sense, right? You see a lot of welding companies' trucks parked in people's yards. Well, suppose he's off welding his buddy's boat trailer when his boss calls him and tells him it's time to come up here and do some work at the plant. We just had a machine to go back. He can't go do it. He doesn't have his cell phone out because he's got his mask on welding for somebody else. Might even be welding for him and putting the money in his own pocket. 
But the point is he's distracted from doing what his boss wants him to do because he's doing something outside of his job description. Whatever reason, whether he's doing it for fun, doing it just to help his buddy, or doing it for money is not really the issue here. The issue is he's distracted and tied up over here and he can't come and do what his boss calls him to do at the moment. That's the way I see this thing of us getting up every morning beating the bushes trying to find somebody to help. We might be helping somebody that God didn't tell us to help and he, we're distracted to the point to where we can't do what he wants us to do. If you remember the call for Philip to go down on the road to Gaza, it says, and the, the angel of the Lord told Philip to get up and go on the road down to Gaza. And the next sentence said, and he got up and went. If you remember, Jesus said, come and go with me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, well, I'd like to do that, and that's what I want to do. But you, you got to give me a couple of days. I got to go home and bury my daddy. You know what Jesus told him? Let the let the spiritually dead bury their physical dead. You come and go with me. I've got more things to do, more important things to do. Somebody else will bury your daddy. Now that's how important being with Jesus was to Jesus. You would think a fellow would be allowed to go bury his dad. That's not what Jesus said. So we wait until God calls us to do something and then we're sitting there like Philip waiting to get it done. And we can get up and go and do the thing that God wants us to do. In Matthew chapter 5, this is another admonition, admonition to God's people, to you and to me. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Well, I'll tell you what, let's look at verse 13 because it gives more explanation. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Now let's take for a moment something here. You know what salt is. Everybody's got it in their kitchen. It's on everybody's table. You sprinkle it on what you eat. Now what does salt do? What is the purpose for salt? Well, one of the main purposes is it makes things taste salty. That's all it does. It preserves meat and a couple other things, but the main thing is it makes things taste salty. You say, but wait a minute, there's more than one kind of salt. Yeah, there's potassium chloride, but it's still a salt. It's just a different kind of salt. It's diet salt. So if you got high blood pressure, the sodium and sodium chloride, regular table salt, 
won't run your blood pressure up. But it says here, and Jesus is talking here of common sense stuff, folks. If the salt quits tasting salty, what good is it? The fact is, the only thing salt is good for is to taste salty. If it doesn't taste salty anymore, it's no good for nothing. You throw it away. He's talking about us, people. He's given us a salty taste. If we don't make things salty when we're shook on it, there's no reason for us. Ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. If you bring what you are and what you've got out to the public, you can't hide it. It's like a city on a hill. Everybody sees the light. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel basket, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. You don't hide your light. God has given you a light, and the word a light is information. And you've got information about Jesus Christ that you need to be spreading to everybody. So, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men. You tell people what you know about Jesus. That they may see your good works, know why you're doing the things you're doing that Jesus asked you to do, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I probably wouldn't have done it that way. I'm not that smart. But the point is this. People see you doing things that they don't think is part of your DNA. They can remember when you wouldn't do stuff like that. I ain't never known him to go out of his way to help anybody. Well, he's helping somebody now. Why you reckon he's doing that? Must be God. Right? (laughs) What else would they say? God chose to get his glory through what we do. What kind of an impression are you making on people with the light that God has given you? Are you spreading it around? Are they giving God the glory for what you're doing? Turn one page over to the right to Matthew chapter 6 and we'll finish up right there. Look at verse 25. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, Jesus says, Take no thought for your life. Don't worry about your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat, more than what you eat, and the body more than clothes. Don't worry about those things. 
says in verse 31, Therefore, take no thought. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. You know who the Gentiles are? That's unbelievers. Just happens to be us too because then nobody had a chance to believe except the Jews. So when they said Gentile, it meant unbeliever. So we're, we still call them unbelieving Gentiles. Don't go after what they go after. You've got people living on both sides of it that want to try to buy automobiles and ride around in them if they can't make the payments on or house it or anything else. Don't put yourself in that fix. Don't go after what people who don't believe in God go after. Go after the things that Jesus leads you to go after. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Don't be worried about what you got and what you hadn't got. He knows what you need. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There it is. While we're given obedience to the authority of God, we don't need to be scared. We don't need to have anxiety. We don't need to be worrying about all kind of things. And you know yourself that you put yourself in situations, choose to do that, that will take your smile away from you any day, and you know when you get in it, it's going to take your smile away from you. And God doesn't want you to be without a smile. How do I know that? Because he said rejoice, and again I say rejoice. You need to be happy, he said. God's going to expect, people are going to expect you, if you're a child of God, to have a better attitude. You can't walk around with a mully grub. Who wants to be like somebody with a mully grub? So what does he say do? We talked about it three or four weeks ago. Think on the things that are beautiful. Don't think on the things that are ugly. Don't put yourselves around people who will bring you down. Try to avoid them if you can. Only go there when God tells you to go there and pray that God will help you not get the same attitude they've got. Because you, you know, you know people. When you go there, you know they're going to bring you down. But pray God he'll get you through it without bringing you down. Do not have fear or anxiety about anything. And while we're given priority to be an obedient to Christ, we will receive whatever else we need. That is a way of thinking, people, that God intends for us to assume when we become a believer. And the only way we would not is if we look at Satan's temptation to be anything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, those things that God is talking about. And he'll give you all that other. I mean, I've lived that away. I know. You'll get it. It won't be maybe the day you want it, but it'll come along. 
rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. That's it. The one thing that, I mean, we know about everything else. It's just this idea of continually talking with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that we have gotten away from, I think. The people I know have. Oh, if they got a need, they'll pray. But if they don't have a need, they don't treat Jesus like he's standing there trying to be their friend. I'm too busy right now. Jesus, excuse me. If you'll get out of the way, I'll do what you want me to do. And we do that. We take that attitude. We were talking this morning. The whole world has lost its respect for everything, for everybody, and for themselves. And I don't know how to fix them. Jesus maybe can. I can't. You take a boy that's 19 years old that can kill you and lay down and go to sleep and not have one bit of conscience bother him, what are you going to do for him? What are you going to do with him? There's two things you can do with him. You can put him in a pen and take all of our tax money and keep him cool and fed and all that other stuff they do. Or you can kill him. Because he's got no place in society. He's going to bring everything down. We've got a lot of folks like that now. A lot of folks. They're looting the stores. They're beating up women folks on the street. They're killing people. And they're making war with the Israelites. And the only thing that can change them is Jesus. And the only way they'll know about Jesus if you say something. And if you say something and they don't, pray that it's a timing thing and they'll come later. Because if they don't, they're worthless. Oh, man, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to use terms like that. But I mean, that's what God says. Don't feel sorry for sinners. They chose to do it, he said. He says that in five places. Well, I know, I know. But, you know, we're supposed to, you know, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinners. No, he doesn't. Psalms chapter 5 says he hates those who sin. I've heard that little cliche, too. Oh, well, you know, you've got to love, hate the sin, but love the sinner. God doesn't. I've looked it up. He hates sin and he hates sinners. And the only hope for sinners is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've got it, hopefully, I think. Everybody I know has. But if we don't, we need to turn to him now. That is our message. It's for us and it's for anybody that'll listen. And it's so neat to me. I can remember one time 
I was doing the seminar, and I thought, man, if I'm going to be doing this in front of a bunch of people, i got to quit talking like a hillbilly. i got to learn to talk like important people. And I remember God slapping me on the back of the hand like I do that great-grandson of mine. No. He said, no, you don't need to do that. So i got people that listen to them. And I've got people who will listen to you. As long as you get the message across, it don't matter what kind of accent you've got. So I quit thinking about it that day. It says in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians that God gets what he's done with not many rich, not many noble, and not many strong people. He gets what he wants done with common folks, with nobodies, with people who have nothing at all to brag about. That's us. And it's okay to be that way. And besides that, he says we're peculiar people. So they expect us to be crazy anyhow, so you don't need to dodge that either. That seems to be the things that Jesus is trying to get us to understand. And if we talk to heaven enough, we'll know how to live each day without making too many mistakes until we try to outrun God, outrun our leadership, and go ahead of the shepherd who's supposed to be walking in front of us, taking us wherever we need to be to get good grass. Whenever sheep get ahead of the shepherd, you call that a stampede. And a stampede doesn't benefit anybody. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your instruction for us. Teach us to go along with it. Teach us to be satisfied with it. To be content with what we have. To be content with who we are. And to be content with what we'll be. A born again believer that follows Christ and is obedient to God's way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.